you cannot reply a 400. No, we don't know the parcel because the parcel is physically there. Something needs to happen. You can correlate what you're building with something really physical and tangible. That had zero IT downtime uh, last year. Who's doing the WCS part? That's always the discussion. Boxes being physically on the conveyor. And physical limitations, yeah. yeah. Hey everyone, welcome to the Bol.com Tech Lab podcast. We share our experience with you. Speaking behind the screens of IT and tech in general at Bol.com, the largest e-commerce platform in the Netherlands and Belgium. We are sharing our approach to IT, e-commerce and retail platforms. The host of the show, Peter Paul van der Beek and Peter Brouwers. Hey, welcome back to another Tech Lab podcast episode. And as you know, we are always uh, interested in sharing our experience. And sometimes that experience is uh, not that vanilla as just a, a Java service on a Postgres uh, database. But it brings us to more, let's say, unexpected uh, counters where we also have to work with uh, other IT systems. One of these uh, very specific parts in our RT is uh, warehouse mechanization. So that's what we're going to explore uh, today, Peter. Yes, exactly. And um, yeah, I, w- I was preparing this uh, this episode and um, yeah, logistics um, is for me the area where e-commerce comes to life. Uh, at the beginning of this year, I uh, switched my focus from engineering manager of the site reliability teams to uh, yeah to engineering manager of uh, development teams and I choose for the logistics area because of this yeah this uh, place where e-commerce comes to life and um, yeah it's great to have the the two guests of this show uh, in, in in the show to talk to talk with us uh, about this so uh, yeah introduce them Peter Paul and find out what it means yeah sure so uh, today we have uh, Frank Lakenveld who's a WMS consultant so a warehouse management systems uh, consultant in of the logistics of course and we have Dennis van Duin, a systems engineer in uh, in logistics. Yeah, so this is very logistics oriented uh, today. And yeah, for me, that's also very cool to see because for me, as you mentioned, that is where our administrative part comes together with the physical world. Eh? So in, in IT system, it seems all endlessly scalable in the cloud, but to scale a warehouse uh, endlessly, yeah, that, does, that just doesn't work. So you have all kinds of restrictions uh, there. And this, this is indeed where, uh, we, yeah, we get to real moving parts and 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 things like that. So I'm really excited uh, to dive uh, into that. So yeah, but that's just uh, my take on things. Um, from your perspective, uh, Frank and Dennis, what what sets warehouse mechanization apart from the other things that we do in software engineering at Ball.com? Well, the the first uh, typical thing of warehousing would be that uh, it's physical. Uh, warehouse management system is one of the few systems that you can actually walk through when you go to one of our fulfillment centers or one of our return centers. So you see people with scanners, you see people working on desktop, you see mechanization moving, you see the items that are being handled. Everything that's represented in WMS, you can find physical and you can visualize it. Uh, and that also distinguishes it from other software engineering that, well, if, uh, if you run into troubles, you almost immediately also have a physical problem instead of an administrative problem. So, so to compare, if you have an order sourcing service that uh, jams for uh, half an hour and you fix it within that half an hour, it recovers its backlog of transactions and it's only an administrative issue. If you jam for half an hour in one of our fulfillment centers, you have a few hundred people drinking coffee in the cafeteria. That's one of the 
the main differences for me. It's a physical, it has a physical component. I can, I can also imagine eh, that that also the part eh, that I can imagine that a lot of the soft, other software systems that we build are talking with other systems that we also build. Where in the warehouse mechanization, we also use a lot of partners that have uh, software written for that. So so they yeah they, uh, we have to deal with the specifics of um, yeah commercial software. Let let's put it like that. And we are yeah. uh, working in another way together i guess yeah of course those uh, th those mechanization partners they're usually very focused on their hardware development for them uh, software development is something they do uh, on the side to make yeah. the hardware work <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, that sometimes means that the resulting uh, software is quite basic. I can, act, so, I can give you some examples of uh, what Dennis mentions. <laughs> uh, when we did the RFP and you discuss with uh, the material handling parties that are uh, uh, joining to uh, do an offer for uh, the solution uh, we need, you uh, sometimes run into that issue that uh, IT is not their main, uh, main focus. Um, for example, you can have the most sophisticated uh, item uh, dimension scanner that's able to, in 3D, measure the exact dimensions in millimeters of an item and combine it with the weight and provide all the dimensions, which is, from a mechanical perspective, brilliant. But then the end result could be that it exports its data on a CSV file on a USB stick in the device itself. Well, that brings some limitations. And another example would be that we had a supplier that had a fantastic mechanization solution, but it required uh, a, a, an hardware component that runs on Windows XP. We were in a session in the RFP and I saw Rohir from security sweating. <laughs> and I started to cry because of that, okay. because Windows XP is obviously end of life 2014. Wow. So uh, that's some limitations you uh, run into. Hey, maybe it's good to know, uh, good for our audience to, to describe on a high level uh, what uh, what a warehouse looks uh, like inside. Uh, many people know uh, when driving on the roads, you see the black boxes and know there's a warehouse for a typical organization like Bot.com. But what's inside? What's happening over there? Maybe that's good to to know first before we dive into a more detailed level of uh, what comes with it from an IT perspective. Well, every warehouse is, uh, is the same from about a 10 kilometer distance. And as you run closer, you see more and more differences. And when you get in, it's a totally different world than the previous one you visited. But from a, uh, a simple uh, view, it would be three main components. You have inbound activities, receiving stocks, stock and items from your suppliers. Um, you have stock keeping activities. So you have put away, uh, placing the right item on the right location in the warehouse, being pallet racking, shelving, uh, an automated storage solution uh, like an ASRS. Um, and then you have the outbound processes where the customer impact uh, comes in. Uh, so you have customer orders flowing in and uh, the order picking process. So collecting the items, packing the items, labeling the items and uh, shipping the items. That's the three main components within, uh, within the building. And those three solutions you try to do in the most efficient way. Uh, where possible, supported by mechanized solutions. Yeah. Hey, and, and when I talk uh, on birthday parties with people about uh, about warehouse uh, at Bol.com, people are sometimes surprised by the fact that we don't have that much 
uh, robots uh, and, and nice uh, robot cars running around with, with pellets and that kind of stuff. But there's um, uh, also a lot of uh, operators working uh, in, in our warehouses. Um, how is that? Uh, what, what was the reason for that? Why don't we do uh, uh, that much with uh, robotics yet? Uh, if you look at the internet, with, with you see many uh, nice uh, videos with, uh, with ah, robots yeah. uh, moving, uh, etc. I, I think one of the reasons is that we have so many different items, like a a, a, a box of pencils requires a completely different robot than a washing machine or a teddy bear or exactly. whatever kind of item. And yeah, the, the diversity indeed. Yeah. Yeah. If you are, for example, uh, a medicine distributor, all medicines are completely different, but physical, they're not. They're all in this little carton box. So you can make dispensers for them, automate them, sort them, and label them automatically, pack them. That's, for example, an industry that allows for high level of robotization. Uh, but we, we uh, well, we sell about everything. So we need a, there's not one solution for all to build one warehouse with one mechanized solution to handle all your items. Okay, so that, that's good to know, I think. Um, yeah, so when you look a bit more in, into detail, what, what items are uh, mechanized uh, and uh, are good to know? Uh, the easy uh, handleable uh, items. Well, in fact, everything that fits into a tote in the beginning. So you have these big blue uh, plastic uh, boxes in the warehouse. Everybody who's a little familiar with automated warehouses will know them. Uh, tote is a general name for them. It's the English version of uh, the crate, I don't know. Everybody calls them totes. And if you can yeah. fit it in there, you can do a lot with it. Um, so if it fits and if it's not uh, fragile, etc., you can handle it in such a way. Because uh, if you place it in a tote, you can put it on a conveyor and you can ask the conveyor to move it to somewhere and maybe store it in an automated uh, ASRS solution or move it to an area where an operator can do uh, things with it. And same as in the outbound process, when you have items that are quite predictable, let's, let's use that word, uh, you can throw it on a conveyor and move it to an automated packing machine and it can wrap a carton around it. But uh, yeah, don't try that with a fishing rod, for example. It won't work. And also don't try it with a washing machine. So, that's, uh, <laughs> so again, the, the physical limitation. So there's, we have in our logistics department has a t-shirt sizing for items. So uh, small until triple uh, XL. So that's a USB stick to a washing machine. And that's mainly the, the categorization we use. So if we make a mechanized solution, it's to handle uh, M and L items, for example. That's uh, volume and the product characteristics uh, determine that a lot. Okay, and <clears throat> so so in, in order to, to manage all this, also the, the measures of the product and the weight and whether they're fragile, uh, hazardous materials, all these, uh, again, physical aspects of a product are really important because this is, again, where the physical world, <laughs> yeah, we really have to deal with those facts, right? That's where your warehouse management system comes into place. That's actually the central core of uh, running your warehouse processes and also uh, uh, communicating and integrating with mechanized solutions because your warehouse management system knows all those details, which item is fragile, which item is rollable, which item is uh, chemical, so uh, ADR, uh, what, what are the dimensions of the item, what are the, what's the weight of the item, that's all in one central place. So the WMS system we have, Reflex from Hardest Group, is what we use within uh, our team 5J, we do the warehousing solutions to support those processes. Hey, and and um, so, so that's one one of the physical 
aspect, another of the aspects that that's there at least, had to enable our growth. Uh, yeah, at some point in time, also, yeah, the number of products just doesn't fit in in a more in an, in a warehouse. So we need another warehouse. We need. I mean, we've been through that cycle a few times uh, in the in the last year. Yeah? Um, so. From a, a WMS and a warehouse mechanization perspective, let's explore the phases that are there. We have to design, we have to plan, implement, uh, test. Let, let's start with, with the design. What's typically different when, when doing this compared to, let's say, a more vanilla, regular uh, software development uh, process? Well, that would be, again, the same thing. You start with a physical process. So <clears throat> if we build a new fulfillment center, you get a project group from our uh, logistics department. Uh, uh, well, making up is not the term, but uh, uh, figuring out processes to, in the most efficient way, support the warehouse uh, uh, operation. And that mm -hmm. needs to be supported by software. Um, so it starts with physical processes and to see if you can fit a solution in. Well, we have Reflex as a WMS, which has pre-configured workflows uh, and administrative transactions uh, to support uh, those processes. So each movement, each uh, stock correction, each pick assignment, each packing uh, transaction, that's all stored in a standardized way uh, uh, in, the, in that system. Um, but the design phase starts with physical process. And again, you look back, okay, is that a process we already have in place? Can we reuse what we've built in the past? Should we make new new, uh, new stuff? Or should we not reuse what we've built in the past because mm -hmm. we've innovated on technology? So should we build a more mature techno technological uh, uh, technical solution, for example, uh, that's the decisions you have to make. Reusability versus uh, building new stuff uh, within the limitations of the system uh, systems we use, obviously. Clear. And and uh, so what what I see ha happening with with my teams who aren't in the warehouse part that that they also when let's say business comes with this requirement, they also start looking in in the code to see if they they check or or they challenge the business. Well, is this like really necessary? And can we also do this because that would bring I don't know whatever advantage to building code or uh, the pace at which we can uh, can develop the code. Does such a feedback loop is it possible with you, or because of the physical limitations, or I don't know, maybe even contracts are already already there with contractors or and stuff like that. Maybe not even I, I possible. Think, I think it's even more so in our uh, in our field because we have awesome. a pre-existing uh, application mm -hmm. with that. Uh, provides some features that uh, our, our consultants like Frank they they can suggest to the business okay this is what we already have in in Reflex can mm -hmm. you work with this instead of your uh, your current plan mm -hmm. and if the answer is no obviously we have to uh, to build our own extensions to uh, to Reflex but. Uh, no, we sometimes, ask why. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes the, the the solution that's already there is completely workable uh, for uh, for the business. Exactly, and then we choose that solution which has become kind of a standard, uh, de facto mm -hmm. standard, um, and 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 use it again. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that, that that will lead uh, that that design phase will lead to to some kind of planning of what are we going to do. To make it work and to kind of in in a way also uh, meet the deadline at at some point in time, of course, right? because mm -hmm. yeah, we're also because this has to be in kind of integrated planning when building a warehouse into the the actual construction of the warehouse, which is in a way quite waterfall uh, still. 
Um, how, how is it to deal with, with that? With well, other uh, teams developing software are, let's say, less used to working in in a more waterfall way. Here, when when yeah, creating such a warehouse, we have to to adapt to that. How how do you see that? Uh... Yeah, that's that's typically something for that also distinguishes uh, Team Five J, the warehousing team, from uh, mm -hmm. from other teams. Uh, you always try to work in the same concept as the rest of the IT department with an MVP solution. So start with something small, measure how it works, use the data to improve it, improve it again, measure again, etc. But that doesn't really fit in a warehouse implementation project because you're going to start at some point and you're going to start building uh, the actual construction. You're going to invite mechanized partners so who might be might not be as agile as you want them to be because everything needs to be written and signed because there's a contract. Oops financial uh, consequences mm. so you cannot uh, you're talking to external parties that need to be uh, uh, clear on what's expected from them and whatnot so you, you you can't really move away from some kind of the typical waterfall IT implementation although you try to be uh, as, as agile as possible one of the things we try to do is uh, be very careful with specifically when working with warehouse mechanization um, to the, the magical word there's demarcation so what from a software perspective is the responsibility of the supplier and what's the responsibility for us and of course we, we like to uh, do do as much as possible in-house so that we can innovate on the logic that the device does but there's limitations to that you cannot really do on on, on technical plc level determine what what needs to be done but by by incorporating as most logic as possible in your own systems you're able to work some kind of uh, agile but in general, a warehouse implementation project is quite waterfall. Yeah. The the advantage is that while you are building, you see in the warehouse the the shelving coming up, and you can correlate what you are building with something really physical and tangible that's being built in a in in the physical warehouse. Yeah, exactly. There are not many other teams who can actually. Uh, uh, have uh, pictures of uh, video uh, uh, things of what they're working on, right? Uh, except maybe yeah. for some teams working on GUI where we can take screenshots of that, of course. But yeah, the, then uh, also getting to a thing that, that with functionally moving parts, yeah, I can imagine that that's quite awesome also to see that working and that it also yeah. contributes to, to seeing what you're working towards and, and the goal that you're trying to achieve. And I think that's very strong uh, for the things that you're working on. Yeah, that's indeed very yeah. cool because if you run to the BFC, you see uh, you see uh, a, a lot of operators working with the applications that we've configured, built, designed, uh, and know uh, how that integrates with the backend. But in the end, it's just like building an app. It needs to be uh, resilient, monkey-proof, and uh, and uh, reliable. That's the most uh, important uh, part. Mm -hmm. And you can see people working with it. And on the other on the other hand, it. it also bring some extra challenges I can uh, assume. For instance, if you think about it, you you, you have this mechanization. Um, so all these conveyor belts, all the other uh, machines. Uh, and if you build new software, you want to test it uh, and you mm. want to accept it before you bring that live on production. <laughs> but how do you test that? Uh, uh, because I, I can assume you don't have an, an extra conveyor belt as an acceptance <laughs> environment uh, running around. So how, how does that work? 
um, th there are uh, suppliers that provide uh, simulation uh, software. So a, uh, a piece of software that pretends to be a, uh, a conveyor system that responds like the real, uh, the, the real system would. But of course, it, that's always a, uh, a surrogate to, to the real thing. Uh, yeah, it's also well, a phased phase testing process indeed. Yeah. So what, what Dennis and I tried to do in the implementations we did together is actually try to treat, treat the, uh, the, the supplier systems as one of the microservices in our landscape and isolate it by using APIs, for example. So mm -hmm. we get an inbound uh, HTTP request asking, hey, I have identified a parcel on this conveyor. Um, this and this barcode is on that uh, the parcel. What do you want me to do with it? And then we have logic in our reflex uh, WMS system behind it saying, okay, I know that parcel because it was picked uh, five minutes ago by that operator. It's meant for this and this customer. Here you have a piece of ZBL code, print this label on it and please sort it to that chute because that's where the personnel truck is where it should be uh, should be in. You can simulate that, communi uh, that uh, communication obviously like with any other microservice, but you start with just sitting next uh, next to the, the software engineers, the supplier saying, okay, let's try uh, API 1. See what it does. Okay, yeah. can we make up more scenarios? Yeah. Are there scenarios we didn't cover because it needs to be 100% uh, resilient and reliable? So you start. You also start exploratory testing. What if we have a parcel and we send you a label, but you're unable to physically print it? It's meant for a customer. There's no label on it. What are we going to do? Okay, we have to think of a, an alternative scenario. And once you've tested through all these scenarios, then you haven't even tested the actually the actual physical device, and that's a totally. Uh, a different cup of tea because then uh, you need a lot of uh, preparation where we together with our logistic colleagues uh, try to uh, simulate a production day so just by getting actual parcels uh, getting the data in the wms uh, which can also be uh, quite a challenge to be able to sort and pack and label all these parcels on that mechanized solution so then you throw all the parcels on the, the sorter and then in the end check what was the result okay which scenario didn't we cover also, you find out during testing, actually. Exactly, yeah. and, and and that's one of the parts where, where again the physical world is integrated into the process, right? Because yeah, you're not testing just with services, but there also has, have to be these physical uh, project uh, products on the conveyor belt to be able to to work with them. And let, let's say like if if with services, if messages arrive in a in a wrong order, maybe it can adapt to that, but. Let's say if the test requires a certain uh, order in the in the packages and, and we do something wrong there, placing them there during the test, then things might fail, right? Exactly that. If, for example, we have an outbound sorter in one of our fulfillment centers and the parcel goes through a scan tunnel, all barcodes are scanned and an HTTP request is done to an API in our WMS system. Okay, what shall we do with this parcel? You cannot reply a 400. Oh, we don't know the parcel because the parcel is physically there. Something needs to happen. <laughs> so you need to get unanswered. <laughs> and that can be please reject it and, uh, and put a sticker on it with uh, we cannot find an order or any other scenario to cover. But it needs to be, every scenario needs to be covered because otherwise you have a physical problem. Mm. You mentioned the 400 er errors, but what about 500 errors? How do you, how do you handle that? Because yeah, that's basically also the result could be kind of the same, but yeah, that's yeah. uptime, uptime, uptime. You need to always 
give exactly. an answer. That's, that's how the API should be built. That's how every API should be built, obviously. But we have an agreement with our uh, with the specific supplier, Dennis and mm -hmm. I work with. If they get uh, uh, 10, 500 errors in a row, then the device stops, basically, because apparently yeah. the hosting system is out. There's nothing to be sorted and labeled and packed. So uh, uh, then there, apparently there's a connection problem or a physical problem. It can also be the other way around. I was uh, uh, EOD. Uh, few weeks ago, I got called in the evening. Yeah, the outbound sorter is out. There's probably an IT issue. And we were checking everything. Can't find it, can't find it. Don't don't see incoming requests. Ah, ah, the scanner was physically off. Ah, okay. It was okay. physically off. Yeah, okay. it was switched off. The switch was on off. Yeah, that, uh, that doesn't help. Okay, uh, but how do you solve that remote? I mean, <laughs> you're checking that. You mentioned it was in the evening, so my assumption is that you were checking this from home. So yeah, but so you have to have a way to get in contact with people on site or something? Or yeah, how does that's that work? a very interesting process indeed, because then I can you, imagine. Get, you get you get a, like like every EOD in one of your previous episodes also discussed, you, an issue is uh, reported, but you really have to figure out what the actual real issue is, because they start with a physical problem. The sorter doesn't work. Oh, okay. Uh, what doesn't it do? Yeah, nothing. Oh, okay. Uh, can you throw a parcel on it? Yeah, I can. Okay, what's the number on it? Where is it? Yeah, it went through the scanner. Okay, let's see if I can find an incoming message. So you're, again, you have that physical uh, discussion with someone physically in the warehouse telling you what he's physically doing, what's the expected result, and what's the actual result. And yeah, it's the same as any uh, issue resolution, but with a physical component again. Exactly, yeah. and, and also that physical thing, yeah. looking back also on, on the last uh, one and a half year where, where we had to do a lot of work from home. How did you solve that? That that, Or couldn't you at some point in time? I can also imagine that that brought some challenges for you uh, guys. Uh, absolutely. At, at some point, th there is no uh, going around uh, being there physically to see what's happening. Mm -hmm. And well, exactly. yeah, the, the the past one and a half year. That's uh, well, I think there were one or two times that we had to go through a lot of paperwork to okay, uh, uh, wear your mask, uh, keep your distance. But we now we have to go to the warehouse. <laughs> exactly. So at some well, point, Dennis uh, was integrating a uh, one of the devices I mentioned earlier, so a dimension scanner, and it didn't work. Eventually, Dennis went uh, to the warehouse and opened up the actual device to check cables, network cables, and uh, uh, see how far he could get himself. That's uh, yeah. system engineering uh, with a physical component. <laughs> Learning along the way. So. Yeah. Uh, right. and, and what did you need to, to, to learn? If you talk about learning, uh, you're focusing on the warehouse management system, and uh, we, we distinguish between the warehouse management system being the core of the, of the warehouse and the the mechanization part, which is what we call uh, warehouse controlled uh, control systems, eh, which is uh, the software part of the mechanization. Um, how do you define the boundaries and what did you need to learn from the other domain to, to, to be able yourself to, uh, to work on your solutions? Uh, well, during the uh, project that uh, Frank and I uh, did together, as Frank mentioned before, the, the main thing we learned is how to do the demarcation uh, right. Keep everything functional, so everything related to uh, orders and customers and 
stuff like that, keep that in the WMS and everything related to boxes being physically on the conveyor, keep that in the uh, WCS, the control system, and the WCS only with the information it actually really needs. So there's continuously uh, information going from the uh, WCS system towards the WMS system and, and, and vice versa. Right, yeah. so then isolated with APIs, so consider it being a, a being a server. But that demarcation, well, the example Dennis mentioned was actually great because I think the initial design of how we were going to communicate with the device was made in two hours at the office yeah. of the supplier with their software engineer, which was very cool. We just had a whiteboard. Okay, what what does device what does the device physically need to do? What's the trigger, and what does it need to know, and how are we going to supply that? And we defined five five APIs. Uh, to be able to control uh, the full system, for example, and that uh, that was very cool. But the, the difficulty is always the demarcation. So you, you have a, a complete outbound sorting system that has an incorporated labeler, there's a sorter, and it has a reject lane with a screen for handling the rejects. But it starts with what they call a PLCs. So each conveyor has uh, a little uh, measures which parcel is where. It has diverts where it can be sorted with a little uh, shoe uh, sorting uh, part, and that's all, that are all. Uh, independent comp components. It has a, a, a label scanner incorporated in multiple places. It has a full dimension scanner. It has a weight scale. All these components talk to one system of the supplier, which they call the MFC, Material Flow Controller. So that's the something that uh, the the supplier will de deliver you. So if the conveyor measures a parcel there, then it knows to activate the weight scale. And at the moment it passes the weight scale, it knows that that weight belongs to that parcel, and then it reports back to the WMS. But you don't want to interfere with that logic because that's that's one uh, big uh, uh, bowl of soup of uh, different uh, components coming to, coming together. So that's the material flow controller. And then the, the level where you have the discussion is the warehouse control system. That's the system above. What kind of intelligence is in the solution of the supplier? And above that, you have the WMS system that knows customer orders, items, stock levels, uh, which what is on what location. So who's doing the WCS part? That's always the discussion. MFC, you don't want to touch that. You don't want to talk to to, uh, to, to the OCS level of components, but that's the, that's their expertise. That's that's why you you bring in those guys. But who's doing the warehouse control system? That's always the the discussion. And if you put that in a in a way that both parties can work with, then you can build a build a great solution. You should prevent to, prevent to create two versions of the truth. So share all your information with uh, with with their software, and then have them report back at the end of the day what the result was. You don't want that. And I, I think that also that that depends on uh, that, let's say the, the 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 what we in software actually call the, the granularity, so the scope of the of the part that you're working with from a supplier. Because I can imagine that an outbound lane is then something completely different, or of uh, yeah, let's say a conveyor for let's say uh, of 20 meters that does just convey. Uh, stuff from one point to another, and that, and uh, I think that also being able to handle, uh, yeah, this conveyor sorting, packer machines, uh, measuring devices, all kinds of that. At some point, they have to all talk to the to the same level to a, a WCS, so a control system, right? And 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 how to work with that? That that must be different approaches, or yeah, you can do that multiple ways. And uh, Dennis and I have preferred our uh, have developed our preferred solution in that, but you cannot always apply uh, apply that. For example, an outbound parcel sorter, you throw a parcel on it, 
They scan the barcode. It requests to the WMS system, where should this parcel go? Well, we have 100 shoes. Please take the last five because that's uh, where they fit and take, uh, take, take any of those five uh, uh, you want to choose. That's in essence, it's the most simple device that exists. I have a box here, where should it go? And if they handle the physical part, then we should tell them this parcel can go there and there and there. It's not, not that complex. If you have a complete integrated order picking system, uh, like our bigger fulfillment centers has, yeah, that's uh, completely uh, way more difficult, obviously, mm. because then you have orders and flow and capacity and uh, performance, etc. And that's it's depending on the actual device and the requirements of the device, where to put that demarcation, who's doing what. Exactly, but it also means that the complexity of the, your job is determined by the people buying these devices for everyday warehouse. Because yeah, yeah, depending yeah. on the vendor that they choose and yeah. uh, and things like that, your job becomes more or less complicated. <laughs> is that a correct assessment? Yeah, but that's why in the RFP phase, where IT is already uh, part of the, the project. So when we're in exactly. IT partners, so then we have... Uh, an, uh, uh, one of my colleagues from Team uh, 5J joining, but also the guys from uh, Team H2O, so the installation, what hardware requirements does it have, uh, <laughs> which network uh, requirements does it have, but also the guys from security to prevent that people are plugging Windows XP PCs in our network, for example. Right, so so that's where right. we are incorporated. They need to meet certain requirements so uh, to be able to uh, uh, join, but then eventually logistics chooses the best solution. Uh, yeah, well, solution versus what uh, the cost is, obviously. But uh, there are minimal requirements that are presented by my team and our co colleague uh, co IT teams to, uh, to to get you in. So demarcation is, is one of the um, uh, biggest challenges to, uh, to, to, uh, to make it all work together in a, in a proper way. Um, what are other big challenges in, in processes like this? Uh, timing. It's, you, you have a box that's moving over a conveyor and at some point a decision has to be made does it need to go left or does it need to go right and the, the system needs to have a have an answer before that moment otherwise yeah late. what to do <laughs> yeah. you have that box it's moving there it's, uh, we have a great so example of that in, in our return center we have an inbound parcel sorter where if, uh, if one of our customers returns a parcel it can contain one or multiple items and it's if we're lucky pre-announced so then we throw the parcel unopened on the inbound sorter. The MFC uh, gets the parcel barcodes from that parcel, but it can be multiple. It can be the original shipment label, the AN code of the item, the QR code of the website, can be a total string of barcodes that's on it. And then we need to figure out, okay, what parcel is it and what's in it to be able to send it to the right processing station. So then we are depending on an, uh, another service within our landscape, the guys from Tinder who match the actual barcodes to the the content of the uh, parcel, then we get back which items are probably in the box, and then we have to do some internal mapping. Oh, that's related to this specialty of uh, process uh, processing station, so we have to send it there. And for that whole cycle, we have a maximum of one and a half second, because that's the moment it passes the first shoot where it might need to go. And so, if the, if you don't uh, match that one and a half second, it will s stop the process. So the box will well, wait. That's what you want to prevent because it might happen. It doesn't. That's actually it, it works quite well. Just without knocking myself on the chest. But um, then you need. To, that's where the resiliency comes in. Okay, what if that doesn't work? You need to cover that. You cannot stop the device for one parcel because there are a few mm -hmm. hundred other parcels on it that, that that do want to go to a destination. 
So you have to, okay, what if what if we couldn't figure it out? What are we gonna do? Well, you're gonna send it to a reject lane or do a loop it and try it again, for example. That's something you're discussing with logistics colleagues because it has logistical requirements and with the supplier. Okay, what can we do physically? Uh, we need a loop here. Uh, uh, and, and, okay, so timing is is is, is really really important. So that translates into performance of your systems. And and uh, if you work with uh, with services like Tinder, which is a brilliant name for what it does, <laughs> 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 but it, um, so you're you're uh, figuring out the performance uh, requirements and then test your systems uh, if you are able to. Uh, to match that and uh, again you have a physical performance requirement yeah <laughs> it's not uh, because of purpose but it, that's that's something that applies to wms well to it in general obviously you need to perform anyway but also to wms because if you have slow performance in your wms system you always you also have operators working with mobile apps in the warehouse performing order picking or packing transactions that they're going to wait and if they're going to wait they're going to take longer and your performance goes down and you might not make it at the end of the day so performance is performance and uptime is crucial in uh, warehousing yeah. it but when you're working with mechanization, uh, extra crucial. So, so in, in, indeed, on the webshop side, uh, performance is key because uh, as a user, user, I, I'm, I'm quitting after a one hour second waiting time and go to another uh, webshop. Uh, but in logistics, it's more that you block the process if the performance is not good, then you you uh, end up with cut off times you you don't reach. Uh, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're actually executing what we've promised the customer. So you have to make it real. And you have to do it in a certain time. Same day delivery needs to be finished before a certain time. You cannot wait for some jamming conveyor somewhere. Uh, if, if the delivery date is tomorrow, it needs to go today, before the last truck. Uh, and if you have performance issues at 11 o'clock, you might not make it at one. And you don't want that. Okay, cool. Hey, and, and um, yeah, you already described at the beginning of this, this episode, the whole process from, from um, goods being delivered into the warehouse until uh, the moment that goods uh, um, go with Postanel to uh, to the to the customers um, because of the huge number of items and uh, orders. Do we also simulate this uh, this whole flow? And I guess we 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 talked about it uh, an episode uh, in an episode about it uh, about simulation already and yeah? building the digital twin of uh, of our warehouse. But what is the status right now? If we look at uh suppliers we've been working with most of the time they have their own simulation uh, tooling to use so simulating the physical process um, so it, they can simulate if there's uh, if there are thousands of parcels on the conveyor what needs to happen and if it can make it in time and which shoots will run full and uh, how many operators you need etc uh, but eventually you also need to well you're not actually simulating that's that's, that's a physical test so the, the the supplier will 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 simulate test uh, simulate test by simulating its own uh, device. And then eventually we will also have to simulate, but most of the time we do that physically. So we take indeed a few thousands of parcels, we throw we throw them on the sorter, see how long it takes to see if it will match the required productivity we, uh, we've defined. So yes, you can simulate, but up to a certain level. And in the end, you just need to throw parcels on it because then you know how fast the device is. And you know that you have to prove, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the moment of proof. Okay, can we process the required amount of parcels within the agreed time? Uh, yeah, the, uh, I think we have one question left, uh, Peter Paul, before we go to the uh, to the closing round already, um, and that's the the question of uh, yeah, what's the part you are most proud of? You first, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's still each time I uh, I walk through the the BFC Excel, the the warehouse for big items. That uh, I I think for 
Frank as well as me uh, our first big project within Bolt.com, and I walked past the uh, the parcel sorter. I I, I feel proud uh, to see the the thing running and yeah, that's uh, still feel yeah. good about that. Must be awesome. Must be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a weird, this is a good picture of you smiling when you, know, you, tell, you tell this story. It's also good maybe to check if we have pictures available that we can share uh, to to show the uh, the size of it and uh, given a bit of an impression. It's almost impossible to give that impression until you see it yourself. But uh, maybe that's good to uh, to to see if you can add it to the show notes. What about you, Frank? Uh, what's the thing you're most proud of? Yeah, for the two projects I now did is BFXL and BRC. And, uh, the, 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 we thought a lot about the solution. Then uh, I said myself, okay, how can we make this? Well, all the words that are mentioned, so optimal demarcation, performance, uh, reliable, etc., needs to be up. But eventually, it resulted in a, uh, a system that does parcel identification, labeling, weighing, and sorting that had zero IT downtime uh, last year, and that's great. Uh, that's not. Uh, that you don't see that everywhere, and being able to accomplish that, uh, yeah, that's that's great. That uh, gives a nice view. And also, when you see the device in action, when we do a tour or a demo, that's uh, it's cool to talk about it. It's uh, yeah, it works, and that's in essence what you need to bring into logistics. And it needs to do what was promised, because that's what logistics does. Do what we as Bolt.com promised to the customer. So the device needs to be up, and it uh, it didn't go down. Mechanical issues here and there, obviously. And we have a fantastic team taking care of that. No IT issues, and that's uh, that's great. It's amazing, mm. absolutely amazing to hear about these things, uh, guys. But and, of course, and of course, no. it's very cool to uh, to talk about this to 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 family who are completely <laughs> not in IT. They they. Oh, but they can, they can see the pictures. Uh, yeah, but they can relate to the to the physical aspects of, uh, yeah. of it, and they can see the complexity of that, right? Yeah, that's what I uh, tried to say. Yeah, that's awesome. where the physical component comes in again. Yeah, again, you can actually again. show what it does. Yeah, yeah. so so yeah, I can imagine only one uh, uh, takeaway for our listeners from you, but of course you can say it as yourself. <laughs> what would be I've, your I've, I've, I've one question left oh, now, Peter? Okay. Yeah. yeah, and that, that's the famous question on every birthday party. How come that if I uh, do an order at bot.com with uh, two or three items? That I get sometimes three packages. Did we answer that question now enough or not? <laughs> yeah, you 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 more or less uh, forced that by asking an earlier question. What's the difference? So if you buy a teddy bear and uh, and a, a box of uh, deodorant, it might not end in the same box because of physical and storage limitations. Well, the first obviously is is it in the same building? Then it cannot go exactly. into the same parcel anyway. And if you ordered it at a partner, but that's that's higher in the landscape. But within the warehouse, it can be that uh, there was a. Um, it, it comes from several parts of the warehouse. We always try to combine it in one parcel, but sometimes you didn't make it because we have an, a shortage, for example, in the uh, in the picking process, the item couldn't be found and the other item was we were able to find and then that get, gets packed anyway because we want to deliver that to you. But later in the day when cycle count has been done, we do find the item and we're going to pick it anyway, but it ends up in a different parcel. We don't we don't go running after the parcels uh, at Postanel. <laughs> customers would love that, but we can't always make it. But our logistics colleagues are very keen on this, and every implementation we uh, we do, this is one of the big subjects. So from sustainability perspective and from a customer experience, everything that's in one order, we call it a multi-order, should go into one box where possible. Every Physical limitations again. Yeah. 
and with the least amount of additional air as possible uh, in the yeah. box. Yeah. So we uh, we also try to three 3D Tetris. Tetris can be complex, but 3D Tetris is more complex to uh, get the most optimal box. Uh, and sometimes we find the most optimal box, but we ran out of the most optimal box, and then you get a different box, which is quite bigger and uh, bigger box, yeah. physical mm -hmm. limitations. Yeah. Uh -huh. Cool. Cool to have those insights. Yeah, Peter Paul, <laughs> time for that. Yeah. So yeah, then now, <laughs> what's <laughs> no. your most important takeaway, uh, guys? Well, while talking about it, uh, I think we have uh, quite a cool job. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. And for you, Dennis. IT part combined with the physical, tangible uh, part of the of the job th that makes it uh, fun. Cool. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, and awesome that you're also willing to to share that uh, enthusiasm with us uh, yeah, today in this episode. Thanks, uh, Frank and Dennis. More than welcome, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you liked the episode, check some of the others. Go to Spotify or iTunes, search for Tech Lab, and subscribe. Leave a five-star review so others can find the podcast easier and spread the word. We like interactions, so if you have any questions or suggestions, find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or mail techlab at ball.com. Hope to meet you in our next episode. Have fun.